Welcome to the Healthy Insider Podcast, where we help supplement and functional food brands create better products. Today's host is Todd Rundstedt, Senior Editor. Rick Trojan, you're the president of the Hemp Industries Association, and you have this thing or had this thing called the Hemp Road Trip. Now, I've seen this uh, uh, urban assault vehicle, this sort of a small scale recreational vehicle or a type van, uh, all very much hemped out, you know, in the in the Keezy further bus mold. Um, what, what, what are you with the Hemp Road Trip? Founder? Inventor? Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm the founder of the I guess inventor, but founder of the Hemp Pro Trip. So uh, the idea came to me at the end of 2015 that uh, we need to go uh, change people's minds. And I thought, you know, I was naive. I thought we'd just go talk to the politicians in the primaries, the president's primaries, and tell them about hemp. And they'd be like, oh, that's great. And they would have our best interests out for us. And then they would take care of it. And it'd be, you know, hemp would be planted and legal that year. Um, but yeah, it was obviously it didn't go that way. But I essentially founded the road trip uh, in 2015, and then. Um, had a bunch of amazing crew members that have pretty much uh, helped operate and run the road trip from social media to scheduling to production of the video to actually shooting the video uh, on the bus. So uh, it's been uh, it's been a heck of a journey, but it started back in 2015. That's cool. So your original first uh, plan was kind of short term. It's like, hey, let's get out on the presidential trail and let's change some minds. Let's open some eyes. Totally. I mean, that's I, I literally I had no no idea that how the systems worked, how the political systems, the education, judicial, any of that, how any of it really worked. You know, been taught what we taught in school, but that really doesn't get under the hood. And uh, you know, we talked to in our first our first encounter in, in um, Iowa for the primaries was uh, we went to a Ted Cruz rally, hmm. um, and you know, and was able to speak with Swiss radio station right off the bat about hemp, and you know, Ted has has people come around and. Obviously, they didn't respond when we wanted to ask a question, but went from there. We saw Hillary, Trump, O'Malley, Carson, uh, Kasich, Rand Paul, Marco Rubio, uh, and Bernie Sanders. So we hit and met up with a lot of them and went to a lot of their rallies. It was uh, it was a very um, interesting experience, right, from a civil standpoint. Right. So how many miles did you go? I mean, do you have that little number? Yeah, we've been over 100,000 miles now. We've done 49 states. We haven't made it to Alaska, obviously. We took a flight to Hawaii. Uh, but we've been to every single state um, uh, as of 2017. So we went to every single state uh, since then. So we've done 12, 12 tours uh, nationally. We've gone internationally, gosh, multiple times. Last year, we went to all uh, six continents growing hemp uh, all over Asia, Australia, New Zealand, uh, South Africa, um, and Colombia. And um, it was absolutely incredible to see how different countries are, are doing it and how their laws and regulations really either help right the help the hemp industry like they have in China and in some parts of um, um, you know Asia and uh, uh, where they hurt the hemp industry is in some regulations uh, different countries have that uh, including our own that really hinders mm-hmm. our growth as an industry yeah you know so let's just jump into that for a second uh, because it seems to me that the United States Department of Agriculture with their interim final rule, wasn't exactly a document that set out to create a hemp industry. Fair? Uh, well, at least not create a hemp industry that is uh, functional and uh, advantageous to uh, to the American farmer, for sure. I think that's a fair statement. Yeah. Um, I think uh, they had an opportunity. I think the USDA had, a, had an opportunity to 
with their interim final rule to really lay the groundwork for a stable hemp industry on a national level. And unfortunately, we believe uh, there was too much interference with groups like the DEA, which are no, which shouldn't be involved in an agricultural crop. Um, as far as you know, things even making potential for farmers to be felons or criminals as a result right. of their um, their cannabinoid profile going high. So I mean, which is you know a, fa- a function of nature in some regards. So it, it, I think they, you know, it's a, it's a line in the sand, which I think is is good to have a line in the sand. But it, it uh, that line could have been a lot more advantageous to the American farmer and, and the growth of the industry and the, uh, the economics that we saw in 2014 to 2018 during the pilot program in those states that participated. Yeah. So and. We've seen in the last few years the number of acres grown for hemp really just, it, it, I think it could fairly be called exponential, going from 7,000 acres to 25,000 acres to 78,000 acres, like tripling every year. And then last year, were we at half a million, uh, yeah. which, which has all of a sudden, you know, supply and demand. Are, are we in Bustville right now, you know, between too much USDA opposition making farmers felons, too many farmers getting in too fast and driving down the price so they can't make a profit anymore, too much FDA creating fear around CBD. Um, uh, Where are we at right now? You know, it's kind of the perfect storm. I mean, like you said, Todd, it's kind of the perfect storm between between a lot of factors. But uh, FDA's failure to create regulations that allows uh, for cannabinoids to continue to be in our food system, our beverage system, and our dietary supplement system, uh, like it's been for for the long, like we've been ingesting this, you know, cannabinoids for hundreds of thousands of years. Uh, more recently, since you know at least 2014, when we've been making higher concentration beverages and foods with with CBD specifically or other cannabinoids. So there's that issue, which is creating uncertainty. That uncertainty then doesn't really allow for large, the big box retailers like the WalMarts, the PepsiCo's, the Oreos. Um, you know, other other health foods and natural foods to come in um, mm. because of the uncertainty, right? So that's, that stalls the market from a, from a demand standpoint. The demand for CBD, I mean, once people try the product, it's a good, healthy, you know, product, naturally derived product. The, the results are fantastic, typically. And so there's a lot of return customers, right? Unfortunately, if you don't have the exposure uh, that we had from 2014 to 2018 from a marketing standpoint, uh, we don't have access to the same banking um, or same crop insurance systems that uh, every other agricultural crop gets. So there's a lot of factors going against growth of the industry. That being said, the industry still continues to grow. So while we might not have the same number of, uh, you know, 511,000 acres planted this year, uh, as a country, we have more, we have th- uh, 30%, 27% more farmers planting. So the number of farmers planting hemp has gone up, even though the acreage has gone down. And that's and that'll continue hmm. next year. I think there's something like 28 states already have the USDA, um, their hemp plans approved. Uh, and I think there's something like almost 28 or 30 uh, Native uh, American, Native sovereign nations that are uh, have approval. So the um, the acreage uh, potential is just tremendous for, for 2021. Yeah, you know, that's really interesting, your Native American issues, because that was that seemed to be part of your mission of the hemp road trip is to raise awareness of these issues. There was that infamous story of the DEA raiding some tribal hemp farm and not only destroying the crop, but they also removed the first eight inches of topsoil. That's crazy. Yeah. Right? Isn't that? Yeah, man. It's a, that's, it, yeah. I mean, sorry, sorry, but it, I mean, it, it, it fires me up because it's, it's absolutely, yeah. 
insane. So Alex White, whom uh, 10 years ago, 12 years ago now, had planted hemp on his sovereign nation, the Ogallala Sioux, and, the, and the, yeah. they were raided by the DEA. Uh, we were there with the road trip to see him replant, or his tribe replant um, in 2017, I think. Uh, we also went with uh, to to the um, the water pipeline, the Dakota water pipeline, where it helped mm. deliver CBD and and stuff uh, and supplies, and actually was able to on the bus run some uh, some warriors from some water protectors, I guess you would call them, from the the main camp up to uh, the area where they were having all the um, the protests and the and the issues. So, um, and then we were actually at the Menominee tribe in Wisconsin, where they raided in 2016 raided his hemp farm and took, again, the eight, eight inches of topsoil so that the hemp couldn't come back. And so really nothing could come back the next year. Um, and we put that in my documentary and it's, uh, and we were there with, um, with Mark, who is, is from the Menominee tribe and he was able to, um, they blessed the land and he took us through exactly what happened. I mean, it was absolutely insane. The overreach of our government on, you know, sovereign native lands and sovereign native countries and, uh, and, and destroying a crop that, that has been used here uh, by natives and by the indigenous people for, for thousands of years for food, fiber, uh, all sorts of things. So it's 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 super disheartening uh, to see that what I call overreach from the American government into the native the native tribes. Right. Um, so yeah. we want to help people become aware of that. Yeah. Yeah. O- over overreach or uh, un- under overdigging. Um, yeah, interference. I mean, there's a lot of names we could put on it. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so uh, you know, the the mission of the Hemp Road Trip was an education advocacy campaign to try to end federal prohibition of cannabis. Kind of seems like here we are. You know, that was 2015, 2016. Here we are, five-ish years later. Seems to me that you've had some wins there. Uh, what, what do you think about that? What, what what were some victories that you can point to? Hey, if, if I was on a five-year plan looking at where hemp is now do you feel pretty good about that or you know yeah i mean mean, when some lose some or what gosh when we started like you said we had less than ten thousand acres in the ground and now we have five years later 50 times that right i mean that's that's a huge and we have full federal legalization right on on the legislative side um what i didn't realize is you know did we end the prohibition of cannabis and I think we yeah. did in a baby step, right? I think that what I didn't realize at the time and what I'm realizing now is that, sure, legally, it, this plant is able to be planted, you know, in all 50 states um, with approved plans, right, which shouldn't be needed for yeah. agricultural crop. You don't need to go to the yeah. state to tell them you're planting corn. Uh, but yeah. in addition to that, prohibition comes in in, in kind of other nefarious forms or, or not so I guess on not so blatant form. So access to markets, right? Uh, Unfair regulations, Um, not treating hemp as an agricultural commodity. I mean, we we missed, hemp missed out on all of the funding bills, essentially hemp farmers that came from this last, the COVID COVID Mm -hmm. crisis. So we missed access to that. Access to banking, insurance. I mean, we don't have crop insurance available. And then really it's just FDA interference and, and prohibiting the continuation of hemp and CBD and products like food and beverages and dietary supplements. I mean, these are, issues that still still move forward in a pro, prohibition fashion, even though it's 100% legal on paper, you know, we still have, I mean, there are individuals in Wyoming uh, that were hemp farmers that got arrested and are now being charged as felons, as criminal drug traffickers for 0.6% uh, hemp. So sure. THC hemp. So, I mean, it's, there's a lot of, a lot of obstacles that we need to get through. And actually in some regards, it's even tougher now that it's legal than when it wasn't, because now we have lots of other, government departments that have um, 
you know, uh, they're trying to push their authority on, yeah. on the market. I mean, it, it all it kind of rings a little bit. And I hope people don't see this as politically incorrect, but it's kind of akin to institutional racism, you know, where it's like, look, you're not slaves anymore. Everything's fine. And it's like, well, no, you're you know, th- th- there's all these other sort of institutional racism things that, that's preventing, you know, black lives from mattering, you know, and it's like, you know. Cannabis, I mean, there's a, there's a lot cannabis of species need to need to matter. You know, I mean, it's weird. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. Well, I think I, I think you're right. I think, and, and obviously, I'm not comparing. I, mean, I think we've made it clear we're not comparing I, hemp to slavery, but like, I think right. I think you're absolutely right. There's a lot of similarities, and and but when you think about it, the reality is the whole reason we're here having the fight against this plant is because of racism. Right, the 1920s, uh, yellow journalism, the 1930s, right, the jazz, the 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 things that Harry Anzinger said, the racist, um, you know, publications that that Hearst put in his in his newspapers. I mean, that, that it made uh, it made black people think they were as good as white men. I mean, this was stuff that they published back then to demonize the plant cannabis, which they called marijuana, as the devil's drug, as a jazz drug. As I mean, it was it this this plant's uh, demonization is inherently driven by racism. So it's the same conversation, the same systemic inability for um, people to have equal treatment or, or crops to have equal treatment, nature to have equal treatment. That's, I mean, it, it's that the system is broken on all those levels. And I think people are starting to realize that whether they come to that realization because of racism, um, you know, or they come to that realization because of discrimination uh, of a naturally occurring uh, industrial plant, right? Or whether, or some other way, I think people are starting to realize that the government and some of the, like, you know, the FDA and some of these groups that we thought were there to protect the people, uh, that might not be their full agenda. Right. Wow. That is quite a little paragraph you just said there, Rick. <laughs> Thanks for that. It's hey, a lot it, to bite off, for sure. Yeah, man. I mean, that's really interesting. Uh, just that correlation of, you know, the, the, the capital I ironic, um, you know, that, that the, the, how racism drove the, the illegalization of cannabis back, you know, close to a hundred years ago. And, and, and now it's like, it's, it, it's the same sort of analogous thing where the, the establishment is keeping it from true, from, from finding its, its full fruition as a legitimate thing you know so yeah, it's um, still not taken it's not taken the shackles off yet right and i think we did something in 2017 to celebrate 80 80 years of uh, of prohibition of the plants and we actually made a video with some of the quotes from harry anziger i think it's on our youtube but some of the quotes from harry anziger and, and they were so racist and so uh, amazingly insane right to me and to my ears right. um which was normal for them back then but it was just i mean it's it's if you look back in the real history, I mean, it's absolutely flabbergasting how there's a lot of correlation with racism and, and this prohibition. Yeah, that's nuts. One one little detail that you've said twice now, and I want to make this, I, I want to be clear on it. I, I want to be correct, really. I I was under the impression that kind of, that there was a lot of pushback with the USDA IFR, the interim final rule. Um, but there was one thing that it seemed like they kind of got right, and it was crop insurance, but but it was only for the price of the seeds lost, not for the crop. But if a seed was a seed crop was under contract, that could help in getting a higher return from crop damage. Um, is that is any part of that right? Um, yes. 
So there is some, and so I'm getting really a lot more involved on the insurance side um, mm-hmm. in general, but uh, on the crop insurance specifically, so th- there are some coverages that you can get that you will allow, that will allow the farmer to get the cost of their seed back. So let's say your crop is, is fails, for example, and it costs you, oh. you know, ten thousand dollars to plant that. I'm just using a number out of the air, yeah, but yeah. Uh, for you know, then you would be able to potentially get that ten thousand dollars back, but not the Know, Twenty or thirty thousand dollars for the value of that crop necessarily, just the, the, your input. So it's a way of transferring the, the first portion, a portion of your loss. Um, but uh, and that's something the USDA did get right. But we, you know, we'd like to see access to all, all the same perils and all the same coverage that the regular crop insurance, corn yeah. and wheat and cotton get. Well, and and does corn, wheat, and cotton does that operate the same thing? Like, okay, uh, crop insurance will just give you your seed back, but not the price that you would have received had it come to full fruition and sold on the market uh, and i'm not 100 percent sure how it works i know there's i think there's a couple of different ways you can go about it of um of uh, of valuing your crop uh mm-hmm. and what what is covered uh i'm not you know i'm not as uh up to date on that so i don't want to speak out of turn i'm not I'm not quite sure yeah. my understanding is that hemp has access to a, a, a fraction of that but not access to the whole program the crop so, Got it. Yeah. Fair enough. So uh, the hemp road trip, you did a lot of driving around and, and uh, advocacy work. Um, you know, I've, I've seen some of the videos of, you know, asking, you know, men on the street things, you know, what's hemp kind of things. Um, le- certainly talking to legislatures and elected officials and, and all, all those sorts of people. Did you also uh, pitch farmers? You know, hey, have you considered growing hemp? Maybe you could make more than what you're making on soy or corn. Did you have those kind of conversations? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that was part of part of the deal was to help educate farmers on the potential for what the crop could do. So and and then this is again back in 2016. So the the rage of CBD wasn't quite here yet. So all all, the monetary value that. CBD brought in 2017, 18, and 19 to farms, right. and, and the excitement wasn't there. So we were we were talking more of the grain, the fiber side, right? The fact the fact that the crop uh, using hemp as a rotational crop can increase your corn yields, you know, six to eight percent. Your cotton mm. yields, twenty to twenty-five percent. Um, tobacco yields as well. Uh, it, it picks up soil and toxins from uh, you know soil toxins and, and heavy metals, and really leaves the ground better than it found it. So it was more. Um, a pitch kind of use it as a crop rotation. It is legal. There's opportunity here. There's tremendous opportunity. Uh, and then just helping farmers really know the history, right? It was planted as a, as a critical crop for World War II. I mean, it helped us with hemp, even though it was made illegal uh, half a decade earlier, was absolutely critical for us to win the war, World War II. So, um, I mean, a lot of this stuff, and of course, you know, there's a lot of patriotism as there should be with farmers. And, and that, that uh, you know, George Bush II was saved in the hemp parachute. Uh, right when he jumped out of his plane, uh, and yeah. so I mean, there's a lot of connections there that really I think helped farmers recognize what we've been told about about cannabis and about hemp um, isn't you know isn't the full story, and exactly a lot of it's just misinformation, right? Um, and and so there's a lot of opportunity for this plant, no matter what you're growing for, whether you're growing for fiber, uh, grain, for seed, or uh, for cannabinoids. I mean, there's pretty much if you, if you can farm any other crop, you'll be able to. The farm hemp in your soil, but it, but it takes a little bit of time, and it takes some time for the seed to get used to the soil and the and the latitude, and the farmer to get used to the seed. So it's not an overnight success, but it's definitely something that, while worked into your you know your farm system, can prove very advantageous. Yeah, that's fascinating. Can you just uh, repeat that again? I want I want to just 
make that clear. You said that that growing hemp could improve the outcomes with other crops. Now, is, is that because it just improves the quality of the soil, or or that, so that when you you know when you rotate the crop in, then you know the next time you grow corn, it'll you'll have better yields. Or how does how does that work again? Yep, correct. That's exactly right. So essentially, it it, it pulls toxins from the soil. And then it, when it when it dies and deteriorates, it leaves the ground better than it found it. So hemp puts more nutrients into the soil. So whatever crop you put on top of that, the following rotation, then would have the advantage of having more nutrients, less uh, less toxins in the soil, more nutrition. So then as a result, it'll it'll perform better. Cool. That's really fascinating. Um, let's see. What what do you think is needed most? Are 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 farm Farmers fearful of becoming felons. Uh, will the USDA IFR change around that? Yeah, I mean, there is there is a fear. I mean, I think that fear is intentionally created, right? That the like I said, that case in Wyoming where the, the individual and his mother were had hemp on their farm. I mean, they helped they helped create the hemp legislation in Wyoming so that they could plant hemp, oh. and now they're being charged as as felons for for they're saying they're planting. Um, drug marijuana, right? So um, with an H, of course. So it's, it's just, yeah. there's overzealous, uh, either they're either, either they're uneducated, right? Or they're just malicious, right? That's the only two options. Either you don't know what you're doing or you know, you know what you're doing and you're intentionally being malicious. So that's still happening. That's happening in a couple of different states. Um, there's still uh, issues with transportation. Um, so there's still issues with law enforcement um, not having enough education, I think, to really understand um, the difference. Um, and again, they've been taught that this drug is akin to heroin and akin to crack. I mean, it's the same narcotic level, which is insane. So they treat it like someone's going to go crazy on, on marijuana, which, you know, jumping out of windows and stuff we saw like in Reaper Madness, which is very difficult to watch once you understand the plants, right? So they th think the combination of fear and uh, the combination of just uncertainty uh, is creating some, some lag as far as entry to the market. But uh, the opportunity is still there. I mean, the opportunity for hemp that is not cannabinoids, like grain uh, and fiber, is still just as good, if not better, than you know your corn and your wheat uh, from an economic standpoint. So I think once we can shore up a little bit of this regulation and really get uh, the government out of the way of uh, the growth of this industry is when you'll see it go from you know even 50 times in five years to maybe 100 times. I mean, this could be a crop that could compete. I mean, corn's millions of acres and hemp is less than, you know, less than half a million acres. So we're still a small dot in a larger pool of agriculture, but uh, we're a very fast growing dot and a very exciting dot because of not just the economic opportunity, but like I said, the ability to fix the soil and really improve the land with which farmers operate uh, is just icing on the cake. Yeah. And then, so can you comment any on, not just on the farmer, or the, there, there's the soil level, then there's the farmer level, there's the family farm level, there's the community level where you have, um, you know, the younger generation is excited by hemp in a way that maybe they aren't by ho-hum corn or soybeans, yawn. So, so that's helping to build these rural communities. Um, and and so that, that that's just one aspect of it, but you know that, that's sort of the downstream side. Then the upstream side is the great promise of hemp. Um, this could be a crop that really 
can disrupt a lot of current industries and could really, you know, everything from solving the climate crisis to plastics fuel. You, you want to talk a little bit about that end of it, you know, the, 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 the end product side, what, what hemp could do on that side? Yeah, so the beauty of, beauty of hemp is, and, and this is what Henry Ford um, found out back back in the, the 30s and 40s, is is anything that you can make from uh, petroleum, right, from a hydrocarbon, uh-huh. you can make the same from a carbohydrate. So you, so what you can make from oil, right, petroleum oil, you can make from agricultural products. Hemp happens to have a lot of cellulose material, a lot of lignans, a lot of products that you can chemically bring down to create plastics to create uh, textiles, right, uh, to create energy capacities. So um, you can use it to, to replace graphene, right, for batteries. So, um, I mean, it's a very, very versatile crop. And, and there was, I mean, I think uh, it was Popular Times in 1937 called it the first billion-dollar crop, which in today's mm. it's like an $18 billion crop, you know, in today's terms. But it, it, there's so many products that can be made from hemp. And as we're moving, right, finally we're moving towards more sustainability, um, until, you know, pre-COVID, pre-plastic everywhere, there was, we were using, you know, hemp bags and, 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 and textiles that were more renewable and, and, and had building materials that were more renewable and sustainable. And hemp can provide solutions to all that. I mean, there's hemp wood manufacturers in Kentucky that are making flooring made out of hemp. Um, mm. There are people making cabinets and, and speakers and guitars, like Silver Mountain guitars out of, out of hemp. So there are, I mean, you know, business cards, there's a lot of products that we can make um, I mean, think of all the things you can do with corn, right? The corn, you have high fructose corn syrup, and you have ethanol, you have lots of things you can make with corn. Well, multiply that by a factor of 10, and that's hemp. I mean, hemp can do what corn can do, and then some. So it's like corn on steroids, and, um, it, it, and it, you know, it also leaves your ground better than it found it. So as a farmer, um, it requires less inputs, and you have more revenue opportunity on the back end. The challenge, I think, to your point, Todd, is that is that it is disruptive. And so I think that people are trying to put this plant and all it can do into the current system, which is not sustainable, as we know, mm. and isn't working for us. And so the, I think we're at this crossroads, this teeter-totter, if you will. Do we disrupt and, and change the system, or does the system absorb and just put hemp and all its downline products into the system that's currently there and really nothing changes? The opportunity we have to disrupt and make make it more uh, put more money in farmers' pockets, put more money in the community's pockets instead of the pockets of the large corporations. I think that's that's the point we're at, and I think that's the fight we're having um, legislatively and, and culturally. Right, right, cool. Uh, I think we could just leave it right at that. Cool. Uh, Rick Trojan, president of the Hemp Industries Association uh, and the uh, founder of the Hemp Road Trip and uh, a great advocate of hemp. Uh, Rick, thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Todd. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to a Healthy Insider Podcast. We are continually looking to improve your podcast experience and want to hear from you, the industry listener. Please take a moment to take our quick survey and provide your feedback at naturalproductsinsider.com slash podcast survey.